what we do echoes through generations. Do not let them take away your power. Do not let them take away your democracy. Working on it, Mr. President. Working on it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets as well. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me... From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. I have to tell you, I am still feeling the um, the reverberations, the aftershocks, if you will, since I'm out here in L.A., <laughs> from uh, Wednesday night's extraordinary speech at the virtual Democratic National Convention, not from Kamala Harris, which was excellent, by the way, and I have never been a fan of hers, uh, but from Barack Obama. Which, if you did not see or hear, you will today, as I think it is easily the most important speech that he has ever given, and arguably, I guess I'm the one arguing it, the most important speech that any president, at least in modern times, has ever given. You uh, you can be the judge of that, uh, but it was uh, important enough, as I see it, that along with the uh, following breaking news here on uh, Thursday, I've once again... Desi Doyen scotched all of my previous plans for today. Yes, I know. And continue to put off coverage of so much of what is happening at the state level right now as Republicans continue to try to block access to the polls before this year's never more critical general elections in just 75 days. But who is counting? So for now, for today... Uh, we must start here as small, really, as as it actually seems in one sense after uh, Obama's remarks from the Museum of the American Revolution on Wednesday night. But as today, the walls continue to come crumbling down around this immeasurably corrupt presidency of Donald J. Trump. 
the greatest threat, as I see it, to this republic itself, at least since the Civil War. Anyway, uh, we have to start here uh, for this way back at the beginning of Donald Trump's 2016 campaign when it kicked off in 2015. It was headed by a guy named Corey Lewandowski. Lewandowski would eventually be removed from the campaign after being arrested on misdemeanor battery charges after he'd grabbed a Breitbart, ar Breitbart reporter's arm after a speech at a Trump property in Florida. Desi Doyen, do you remember that? Way, oh, yeah. Way back when. Long ago in the yep. before times. Now, he and Trump vigorously denied that Lewandowski had uh, touched the reporter, Michelle Fields, at all, which right-wing media outlets, including Fields' own right-wing outlet, Breitbart News, had uh, parroted th those claims that oh, he never touched her at all. Videos, however, produced by the Trump property later showed that Fields' allegations were actually accurate. Nonetheless, the charges against Lewandowski were eventually dropped. He was then replaced by Trump's next campaign manager, Paul Manafort. You may have heard of him. He is currently serving a seven-year prison sentence after being convicted and or pleading guilty in March of 2019 to a whole bunch of charges, including bank and tax fraud and witness tampering and conspiracy against the United States. The charges that Manafort faced stemmed in part from the investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller, which had looked into Manafort's business practices, including his undeclared work as a foreign agent for several different countries that all were not the United States of America, even as he served as Donald Trump's campaign chief. As his campaign chief, those connections earned uh, still more scrutiny with Manafort just this week with the release of a nearly 1,000-page GOP-led bipartisan U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee report documenting Manafort's sharing of Trump campaign material with a colleague of his who was uh, thought to be Russian uh, intelligence. Rick Gates, who served as Trump's deputy campaign chair and uh, after the election went on to work for Trump's inaugural committee, he was similarly charged with financial crimes and conspiracy and also sentenced to prison. Of course, you know of other senior campaign members and advisors from Roger Stone to Michael Flynn to George Papadopoulos to his lawyer, Michael Cohn, who were all convicted of felonies for uh, from their time working on the Trump campaign and were sentenced to prison. But focusing on just the campaign chiefs, Lewandowski and then Manafort, they were both charged and Manafort was convicted. He was then replaced by the then CEO of Breitbart News, a guy by the name of Steve Bannon, who was later tossed out of the White House after serving as Trump's top advisor, but who Trump, as late as a week or so ago, told Fox News' Chris, uh, Fox News's Chris Wallace uh, that he was, quote, doing a good job, unquote out there where he uh, where he's got a radio show on Sirius XM, which the president reportedly listens to, along with a, uh, uh, the, the show is with another Trump campaign guy named Jason Miller. Trump told uh, Fox's uh, Chris Wallace uh, Breitbart, quote, uh, I'm sorry, Bannon, quote, says the greatest president ever when he's talking about me. So, yeah, to Donald Trump, he's doing a good job. Well, guess what happened to poor Steve Bannon today? Stephen K. Bannon, President Trump's former top advisor, was arrested 
and charged on Thursday in New York with fraud for his role in a scheme related to We Build the Wall, an online fundraising effort that collected more than $25 million from a whole bunch of suckers for the president's much-touted plan to erect a barrier on the Mexican border. Bannon and three other defendants quote, defrauded hundreds of thousands of donors capitalizing on their interest in, a, in funding a border wall to raise millions of dollars under the false pretense that all of the money would be spent on construction. That, according to Audrey Strauss, the acting U.S. attorney in Manhattan, in her statement on Thursday after the arrest. Bannon was arrested early Thursday in Connecticut by U.S. postal inspectors. Glad we still have them, <laughs> some of them anyway. Specifically, he was arrested off the coast of Westbrook, Connecticut, according to Washington Post, while aboard a 152-foot yacht owned by a friend, Chinese billionaire Guo Wangay, who is wanted, apparently, by authorities in Beijing on charges of fraud, blackmail, and bribery. And, and who has reportedly been bankrolling Bannon's work. Oh, good times. You know, these, by the way, these are the folks who love to claim that people working, you know, three jobs to put food on their table or who, who uh, have the temerity to need $600 a week in unemployment compensation due to the pandemic right now so that they can pay rent and stuff with Republicans in the White House now blocking that, that those people, they're lazy. They don't work hard. I guess they don't work hard enough to con other people out of their money, apparently. After, uh, after his time on the uh, $27.9 million yacht was rudely interrupted today by federal law enforcement officials, Bannon was then brought to Manhattan, where he now faces charges in a two-count indictment unsealed in federal district court today. According to federal authorities, Bannon, widely considered the architect of Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, had hatched the plot to defraud donors to the Build the Wall campaign with three other men, Brian Colfage, uh, an Air Force veteran from uh, Florida, Andrew Badalato, a financier from uh, Sarasota, Florida, and Timothy Shea of Castle Rock, Colorado. As the, as the founder of We Build the Wall, Colfage, if that's how you say your name, if it's not, my apologies, sort of, Colfage had promised his donors that he would, quote, not take a penny in salary or compensation, unquote, and that all of the money he raised would be used, quote, in the execution of our mission and purpose. Well, I guess it depends on what their mission and purpose was, according to prosecutors. But those promises apparently were false. Instead, they said that Colfage secretly took more than $350,000 in donations for his own personal use and that Bannon, through an unnamed nonprofit organization, received more than $1 million from We Build the Wall, which was meant to build the wall uh, with every penny except for the million dollars that Steve Bannon took from it and the 350000 that he gave to the guy who set up this con in the first place. The group had claimed publicly and uh, uh, to the crowdfunding website GoFundMe that Colfage would take no salary and that 100% of the money raised would be spent on wall construction. He said, quote, I'm taking nothing, zero. 
is what he said on social media. He also wrote a mass email to the donors asking them to buy from his coffee company. He owns a coffee company, apparently, because that was how he, quote, keeps his family fed and a roof over his head, unquote, while he's out there doing the brave work of raising money to build the wall to keep us safe from the uh, illegal aliens who are coming to kill us all. Some of them are nice people, I I hear, so I don't want (laughs) to... Uh, For his part, however, uh, Bannon said uh, during interviews, quote, we're a volunteer organization, according to prosecutors. Privately, prosecutors say the uh, men discussed how that messaging uh, that we're a volunteer organization would drive donations. And from January to October of 2019, they collected more than twenty five million dollars from new and existing donors. And contrary to their public assertions, they schemed to make sure that they were paid, according to the indictment. Which reads, quote, as alleged, the defendants defrauded hundreds of thousands of donors capitalizing on their interest in funding a border wall to raise millions of dollars under the false pretense that all of that money would be spent on construction. As Audrey Strauss, uh, who now heads up the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, said in a statement announcing the case, while repeatedly assuring donors that Colfage the, the founder and public face of We Build the Wall would not be paid a cent. The defendant secretly schemed to pass hundreds of thousands of dollars to Colfage, which he used to fund his lavish lifestyle. In total, prosecutors allege Colfage received more than $350,000 in donor funds that was rooted through various accounts and shell companies to help keep them secret. And he used that to pay for home renovations, for a boat, For a luxury SUV, a golf cart, jewelry, cosmetic surgery, and personal taxes, and credit card debt. Nice work if you can get it. Bannon and the others also received hundreds of thousands of dollars. They spent it on travel and hotels and personal credit card debts as well, according to the indictment. To conceal the illicit flow of money... Prosecutors apparently uh, said that the uh, men r- rooted the payments from We Build the Wall not only through Bannon's own nonprofit group. I guess we should put uh, quotes around the word nonprofit there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also through a, a shell company that uh, one of the defendants, Shea, had uh, had controlled. Prosecutors suggested that they were in possession of a text message in which Colfage tells Mr. Badalato that the payment scheme was, quote, confidential and should be kept on a need-to-know basis. So asked about uh, this matter on Thursday, Donald Trump said he felt, quote, very badly about it. But, but, he said of Bannon, quote, I haven't been dealing with him for a very long period of time. Of course, it was just two weeks ago that he told Chris Wallace that Bannon was doing a good job for him out there. Trump said today that he felt the private fundraising effort for the wall was, quote, something I very much thought was inappropriate to be doing. I don't like that project, he said. I thought it was being done for showboating reasons. White House Press Secretary uh, Kayleigh McEnany said that Trump, quote, had no involvement in this project and pointed to a tweet that he issued just last month in response to a, a story about a privately funded section of the wall saying, quote, I disagreed with doing this small, tiny section of wall in a tricky area by a private group which raised money by ads. It was only done to make me look bad, he said, and perhaps it now doesn't even work. 
So those involved in the project, in fact, were very closely tied to the administration. Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., was a guest at a symposium hosted by We Build the Wall uh, back in New Mexico in, in uh, back in 2019, praising the organization as, quote, private enterprise at its finest. So, yeah, they were not exactly uh, separating themselves from this effort at the time as they were uh, looking at this wall, which, by the way, is now reportedly in danger of being washed away by and falling into the Rio Grande River. (laughs) Yeah, that's because they ignored all of the people who are in engineering who said, hey, you can't really build a wall there. That's a bad place for a wall. Really, you don't want to build a wall on the edge of a river. They did it anyway. Is that one of the things that, you know, when we do these environmental studies that the the president is so against that he's done away with? Is that one of the things that you might find out in an environmental study before you spend millions on some project? Yes. As a matter of fact. One of the group's advisors, Chris Kobach, you've heard of him, the former Kansas Secretary of State, of course, known for his phony claims of voter fraud and for losing the gubernatorial election to a Democrat in Kansas in 2018, amongst other uh, shames. He, of course, is also known for his hardline views of immigration, and he has uh, close ties to the administration. Well, he told The New York Times back in January of 2019 that he had described the We Build the Wall project to Donald Trump in a personal phone call and that he, Donald Trump, had given it his blessing. Kobach said to the Times, I talked with the president and the We Build the Wall effort came up. The project has my blessing and you can tell the media that, the president said, according to Kobach. That, of course, contrasting with his remarks last month when Trump started bashing the uh, project publicly, suddenly, out of nowhere, oh, I was against it from the beginning. I thought it was a bad idea. For some odd reason, he started doing that last month. And I was not sure why, other than the reports about it potentially falling into the river. Right. I disagreed with doing it, he said. It was only done to make me look bad. And then, of course, his remarks today following Bannon's arrest when he claimed that it was something I very much thought was inappropriate to be doing. Well, apparently that's not true, according to Chris Kobach just last year, who said the president gave his blessing on it. News reports that uh, Trump's fixer slash attorney general Bill Barr was briefed on this indictment before today's arrest. It makes one wonder if 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 that is just one of the reasons that uh, just last month Barr had attempted to push out the Trump appointed U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. That would be Jeffrey Berman and replace him with his own guy, even though the uh, the president did not have the legal right to remove Berman at the time. So Berman said, no, I'm not going to leave. But then he negotiated a deal with Bill Barr. To have his own deputy, Audrey Strauss, take his place rather than Bill Barr's uh, guy that he was going to push in there. And uh, Audrey Strauss then was the one who announced the arrest and the charges against Bannon today. So you got to wonder a couple of things. Uh, One was Jeffrey Berman pushed out because of this upcoming arrest. That's one thing. And. You know, if Bill Barr knew about it, did he tell Donald Trump about it or did word get back to Donald Trump? And that's why a month ago, Donald Trump started saying, what, build a wall project? That sounds stupid to me. I wouldn't do that. That's dumb. 
As to this Colfage guy, by the way, he was the initial mastermind behind this ingenious plan to play Trump supporters for suckers. Colfage of uh, Miramar Beach, Florida, he's a military veteran who in 2004 was severely injured in a rocket attack while he was stationed in Baghdad. According to the We Build the Wall website, he lost both of his legs and his right arm instantly and was in a coma for three weeks. He would then later go on to found this coffee company. So this jackass has now been critically wounded twice by his willingness to fall in line with con men Republican presidents, first by George W. Bush's phony war in Iraq, where he uh, lost three limbs, but apparently learned no lessons about trusting in uh, Republican presidents. Learned nothing, I guess, other than that lying and stealing is a good thing. Maybe that's what he learned. And now under Donald Trump, whose phony build the wall scam he played along with. So lost limbs or otherwise, I feel no sympathy for this con man or for Steve Bannon, who I'd uh, suspect is probably already appealing for a presidential pardon today. Most corrupt president ever, pretty clearly. As Philip Bump at uh, Washington Post observes today, one takeaway from the Bannon indictment is this. Each of the three people primarily responsible for helping shepherd Donald Trump into the White House has, at some point since he announced his candidacy in June of 2015, faced criminal charges. All three of them. And those three people constitute less than half of the close Trump allies to have pleaded guilty or been indicted or convicted of criminal charges. Last month, he notes, Trump was asked about his decision to reshuffle the leadership of his current re-election team. He took the opportunity to praise at that time both Lewandowski and Bannon. So I don't know. If I'm Trump's latest recently replaced campaign manager, Brad Parscale, I would be watching my back at this point for federal prosecutors digging around. Uh, and Trump's newest campaign chief, by the way, Bill Stepien, uh, he resigned in disgrace from the Chris Christie administration in New Jersey during the Bridgegate scandal, but then was, of course, quickly hired up by Donald Trump and the Republican Party, and he now heads up Donald Trump's reelection campaign. What could possibly go wrong? So, sure, you know, it's fun to see some accountability for these guys today. But I will note one point of consideration here. Uh, as noted, Bill Barr was told about this upcoming indictment, reportedly. And we don't yet know what role it may have played in his largely failed effort to shut down the independent SDNY entirely by attempting to stall his own man to be in charge there. But it does suggest to me, at least... That if Bill Barr knew about this and didn't kill this uh, uh, this indictment, well, all bets now could be off when it comes to what used to be the DOJ's policy of not filing charges in the 90 day or so period before an election. If there could be political ramifications in such an indictment, ramifications for the election. But they went ahead and made this arrest anyway. Arresting and charging the president's former campaign chief and senior advisor, I would say that would definitely have political uh, ramifications as we're just about 75 days from Election Day. So, you know, good news, certainly for those seeking accountability for this president and all the president's men. But it does seem to me that it opens up the door wide open now to Barr's trumped up investigation 
by the uh, Connecticut U.S. attorney, John Durham, into officials during the Obama administration that were investigating Russia's alleged interference into the 2016 election and the Trump campaign's cooperation with that effort. So, hey, they let them uh, uh, indict and arrest Steve Bannon. Normally they would not in uh, this period so close to an election. Bill Barr knew about it, seemingly allowed it to happen. Is that a signal that we're going to, uh, you know, I don't do predictions, but I am predicting that there will be some dueling indictments here, if you will, in the days ahead at this point and perhaps sooner rather than later now. Uh, but we will see. In other words, don't let the seemingly good news coming out of today blind you to the pot- potential for really, really bad news and very uh, scary political prosecutions coming up. Could be. Although, you know what? I'm not that scared of them. I, I know that they're just political pros- uh, prosecutions. I think they will be stopped by the courts uh, because there's probably absolutely nothing there. But we will see. Now, you would think that that might be enough good overall uh, accountability news today, but you would be wrong. There is more. You're welcome. A federal judge on Thursday denied Donald Trump's latest attempt to quash a probe by New York state prosecutors who are seeking his return, his tax returns and other financial documents. Uh, This is decidedly bad news directly for Donald Trump. The ruling by U.S. District Judge Victor Marrero amounted to a second loss for the president's high-stake court battle with Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance. Judge Marrero had rejected Trump's initial attempt to block a subpoena from Vance, said, uh, yeah, absolutely. He's the uh, prosecutor, the state prosecutor. He can absolutely subpoena this material. Well, Trump tried to stop that. Judge Marrero said, no, you can't, as uh, Vance was seeking eight years of tax returns from Trump's accounting firm, Mazars USA. That's the case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the court ruled just last month that the president, no, in fact, is not immune from a grand jury subpoena for those documents while in office. But... The Supreme Court allowed Trump to make an alternative argument to fight the case back down at the lower court. And in that, other words, listen again. Just make sure. Try again. Make a different argument. We'll give you some time. We'll give you a mulligan. Well, that appears to be uh, the accommodation that Chief Justice John Roberts made last month uh, that he apparently had to make for the other right wing justices who wanted to block the effort altogether, block the subpoena altogether. Uh, going along with Trump's argument that Trump's lawyers actually made that he, quote, has absolute immunity as president. And as they argued, if he decided to just start shooting people on Fifth Avenue, he could not be stopped or even investigated from doing so. Yes, that was this case where the president's lawyers actually made that argument. Yes, a president is allowed to start shooting people on Fifth Avenue and cannot be stopped from doing so. And yes, Justices Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh all agreed with that argument. They were originally ready to sign off on that, but Roberts apparently was not buying it, and uh, the vote apparently was initially five to four uh, to allow the, uh, 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 the subpoenas to go through. 
of uh, Trump's uh, tax records, but Roberts didn't want another five to four split decision. So he made a deal that eventually brought over Gorsuch and Kavanaugh to his side, uh, which allowed the president to go up, go back, uh, go back down and have that mulligan uh, at the lower court and, and try again with a different argument. And by the way, if that means that uh, it pushes this whole thing beyond the election, well, so be it. That was the cost, apparently, of getting two more right wing justices to join with uh, uh, John Roberts. So uh, the uh, case did go back down. It was then uh, moved on an expedited schedule from the judge. Trump failed to change the judge's opinion. And the judge gave a 103-page ruling on Thursday rejecting Trump's new argument that the subpoena was wildly broad and issued in bad faith. Marrero wrote, uh, at its core, it amounts to absolute immunity, the argument that uh, Trump's attorneys are making. It amounts to absolute immunity through a back door, an entry point through which not only a president, but also potentially other persons and entities, public and private, could effectively gain cover from judicial processes. So uh, this is already going forward. This has been approved now again by the judge to get this uh, information from Mazars USA about, uh, what is it, eight years, 11 years of tax returns from this president, this president who was the first one in modern times to never turn over his uh, his taxes. In response today, Trump said the Supreme Court said it's a fishing expedition. You don't have to do it. Actually, that is not what the Supreme Court said in the least. Shocker. And he said, and this is a fishing expedition, but more importantly, this is a continuation of the witch hunt, the greatest witch hunt in history, where people want to examine everything that you've ever done to see if they can find there's a comma out of place. Well, yeah, they're worried there might be something like a comma out of place. That's why they're going to this effort, Mr. President, to all of these efforts. And so, yeah, Donald Trump, only president to not turn over his taxes uh, in, in modern times. Before he was elected, I need to note, he promised he would do so time and time again. Repeatedly, he promised he would release his tax returns, and he never has. It's as if he was lying or something. And yet, next week, at the Republican National Convention, I'm sure there'll be a promises made, promises kept section. All of which is a swell reminder, by the way, of how desperately this man believes that he needs to stay in office as long as possible to somehow protect himself. And that he is willing to say anything and do anything to make that happen. About which Trump's predecessor had a thing or two to say for the ages during night three of the Democratic National Convention. Let's take a quick break here and we will pick things up there. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back. 
It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Wednesday night was day three, night three of the virtual Democratic National Convention. Uh, sort of from Milwaukee, but really from everywhere, from anywhere, from nowhere at all. Desi Doyen, I thought it was, of the three nights so far, the best night, the yes. best constructed, with uh, some of the best speakers, uh, hands down. I just, I, I liked it. Yes, That's it was like. very well made, very well put together, and I think very impactful. Uh, more more than just the production values and hey they did a great job with it it's uh impactful is yeah. the word that sticks out to well me. and and that was for several reasons the uh, night opened with the uh, vice presidential nominee kamala harris uh opening with a few short uh, remarks about the importance of voting this year they talked about gun violence uh, there was a, a mother whose son was shot and paralyzed. Gabby Giffords, the uh, former Republican congresswoman who was shot in the head, uh, had a very moving section. They talked about climate, Desi Doyen. Yeah. I know you were uh, happy Fantastic about that. Fantastic segment on climate change. I highly recommend watching it if you haven't. And uh, remarks uh, along with it from Governor Michelle Lujan Grish uh, Grisham. They talked about immigration. They talked about women and women's rights, during which uh, Hillary Clinton spoke and Nancy Pelosi spoke, which was kind of scary because there was a lot of emoting from uh, Nancy Pelosi, I thought. They talked about Joe Biden writing uh, and creating and passing the uh, Violence Against Women Act back in 1994. They talked about labor with the former Labor Secretary Hilda Solis. Small business, uh, which uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, discussed. And, and a great speech as great well. Great speech all that we don't have time really to play. Great speeches, they yeah. were. They were all good. Uh, she went on about how Donald Trump has failed and the importance, therefore, of electing Joe Biden. And then uh, Kamala Harris. Well, not then. Uh, then, actually, uh, uh, President Obama spoke from the Museum of American of the American Revolution. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment and play as much of his speech as I can possibly fit in here, because I think it was that important. That said, after he spoke, Kamala Harris gave her acceptance speech to become uh, historically the first uh, uh, African-American, not African-American, but first black and South Asian female to accept the uh, vice presidential nod. Uh, so it was a historic night uh, as far as that goes. And I thought her remarks were fantastic. Yeah. Now, I'm saying this as someone who has never been a fan of Kamala Harris. I thought she just did a tremendous job. I thought she did uh, as she gave as good of a vice presidential speech, acceptance speech at a, at a convention uh, that you could possibly give, particularly following Barack Obama's remarks. Good luck with that. But she uh, stepped up to it. And uh, this might be controversial, Desi Doyen, but I think she gave as good a uh, vice presidential speech as I have ever seen since Sarah Palin in Al from Alaska ah, okay. in the uh, whatever year that was, 2008. And I know that's controversial, but frankly, she gave a fantastic speech. Yeah, and delivery. Sarah sure. Palin did, yeah. And she, there were people talked about how she seemed to reach out through the camera to speak to people. I kind of thought that Kamala Harris did that too. You can send your complaints to me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Here was just one of the uh, remarks that echoed, that reverberated uh, throughout the night from Kamala's speech. I have fought for children 
and survivors of sexual assault. I fought against transnational criminal organizations. I took on the biggest banks and helped take down one of the biggest for-profit colleges. I know a predator when I see one. And then she just let that remark sort of hang in the air. What predator are you talking about, uh, Senator? There was a, a, a whole lot else in her speech that, as I say, had uh, Barack Obama not given his speech right before it, we might have played uh, an extended clip from, uh, from uh, her remarks because they were actually really good. And that is no matter how you feel about her or her politics or Joe Biden's politics, I don't know what she could have done that would have been any better. That said... I'm going to take a break and come back with what I believe to be uh, perhaps the most important speech by an American president in decades, uh, perhaps even since uh, the Gettysburg Address. We'll find out. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Something happening here But it is Ain't exactly clear There's a man With a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Please do Welcome back to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from Bradblog Com. Okay, as I said at the top of the show, on uh, Wednesday night, day three of the 2020 Virtual Democratic National Convention, just prior to Vice Presidential nominee Kamala Harris's acceptance speech, Barack Obama gave what I regard as perhaps the most important speech by an American president since the Gettysburg Address. Yes. In fact, it would not surprise me at all if uh, Obama reread Lincoln's immortal words as he was thinking about and preparing for this address. Uh, it was like nothing I have ever seen Obama say. I think it largely speaks for itself here, so I don't need much uh, by way of introduction here other than to say I wanted to replay as much of this as I could. We don't normally play clips this long, but this speech at this time, in my opinion, warrants it. If you didn't hear it, well, you will now. If you already heard it, I think it's worth listening to again. Um, for time, and largely because I believe it's beside the point, I have removed most of the section in which uh, he sings the praises of his good friend Joe Biden and of Kamala Harris. Uh, we had to cut somewhere for time, but also because, frankly, I don't care who he was talking about there. It could have been Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar. 
who had won the nomination. And the rest of the remarks from the former president would still have been far more important than singing any particular politician's praise. No matter what you feel about Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, I might note here, doesn't actually matter either. We can fight about that and with them later. For now, the nation's task, at least in my opinion, and apparently in Barack Obama's, is to save our very republic. Here's President Obama last night speaking from, perhaps not coincidentally, the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia. As you've seen by now, this isn't a normal convention. It's not a normal time. So... Tonight, I want to talk as plainly as I can about the stakes in this election. Because what we do these next 76 days will echo through generations to come. I'm in Philadelphia, where our Constitution was drafted and signed. It wasn't a perfect document. It allowed for the inhumanity of slavery and failed to guarantee women and even men who didn't own property, the right to participate in the political process. But embedded in this document was a North Star that would guide future generations. A system of representative government, a democracy, through which we could better realize our highest ideals. Through civil war and bitter struggles, we improved this Constitution to include the voices of those who'd once been left out. And gradually, we made this country more just and more equal and more free. The one constitutional office elected by all of the people is the presidency. So at a minimum, we should expect a president to feel a sense of responsibility for the safety and welfare of all 330 million of us regardless of what we look like, how we worship, who we love, how much money we have, or who we voted for. But we should also expect a president to be the custodian of this democracy. We should expect that regardless of ego, ambition, or political beliefs, the president will preserve, protect, and defend the freedoms and ideals that so many Americans marched for, went to jail for, fought for and died for. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. 
Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. And the consequences of that failure are severe. 170,000 Americans dead. Millions of jobs gone. While those at the top take in more than ever. Our worst impulses unleashed. Our proud reputation around the world badly diminished. And our democratic institutions threatened like never before. What I know about Joe, what I know about Kamala, is that they actually care about every American. And that they care deeply about this democracy. They believe that in a democracy, the right to vote is sacred, and we should be making it easier for people to cast their ballots, not harder. They believe that no one, including the president, is above the law, and that no public official, including the president, should use their office to enrich themselves or their supporters. They understand that in this democracy, the commander-in-chief does not use the men and women of our military who are willing to risk everything to protect our nation as political props to deploy against peaceful protesters on our own soil. They understand that political opponents aren't un-American just because they disagree with you. A free press isn't the enemy, but the way we hold officials accountable that our ability to work together to solve big problems like a pandemic depend on a fidelity to facts and science and logic and not just making stuff up. None of this should be controversial. These shouldn't be Republican principles or Democratic principles. They are American principles. But at this moment, this president and those who enable him have shown they don't believe in these things. Tonight, I'm asking you to believe in Joe and Kamala's ability to lead this country out of these dark times and build it back better. But here's the thing. No single American can fix this country alone. Not even a president. Democracy was never meant to be transactional. You give me your vote, I make everything better. It requires an active and informed citizenry. So I'm also asking you to believe in your own ability, to embrace your own responsibility as citizens, to make sure that the basic tenets of our democracy endure. Because that's what's at stake right now. Our democracy. Look, I understand why a lot of Americans are down on government. The way the rules have been set up and abused in Congress make it easier for special interests to stop progress than to make progress. Believe me, I, I know it. I understand why a white factory worker who's seen his wages cut or his job shipped overseas might feel like the government no longer looks out for him and why a black mom might feel like it never looked out for her at all. 
I understand why a new immigrant might look around this country and wonder whether there's still a place for him here. Why a young person might look at politics right now. The circus of it all, the meanness and the lies and conspiracy theories and think, what is the point? Well, here's the point. This president and those in power, those who benefit from keeping things the way they are, they are counting on your cynicism. They know they can't win you over with their policies. So they're hoping to make it as hard as possible for you to vote and to convince you that your vote does not matter. That is how they win. That is how they get to keep making decisions that affect your life and the lives of the people you love. That's how the economy will keep getting skewed to the wealthy and well-connected. How our health systems will let more people fall through the cracks. That's how a democracy withers until it's no democracy at all. And we cannot let that happen. Do not let them take away your power. Do not let them take away your democracy. Make a plan right now for how you are going to get involved and vote. Do it as early as you can and tell your family and friends how they can vote too. Do what Americans have done for over two centuries when faced with even tougher times than this. All those quiet heroes who found the courage to keep marching, keep pushing in the face of hardship and injustice. Last month, we lost a giant of American democracy in John Lewis. And some years ago, I sat down with John and a few remaining leaders of the early civil rights movement. One of them told me he never imagined he'd walk into the White House and see a president who looked like his grandson. And then he told me that he had looked it up. And it turned out that on the very day that I was born, he was marching into a jail cell, trying to end Jim Crow segregation in the South. What we do echoes through generations. Whatever our backgrounds, we are all the children of Americans who fought the good fight. Great grandparents working in fire traps and sweatshops without rights or representation. Farmers losing their dreams to dust. Irish and Italians and Asians and Latinos told, go back where you come from. Jews and Catholics, Muslims and Sikhs made to feel suspect for the way they worshiped. Black Americans chained and whipped and hanged, spit on for trying to sit at lunch counters, beaten for trying to vote. If anyone had a right to believe that this democracy did not work and could not work, it was those Americans, our ancestors. They were on the receiving end of a democracy that had fallen short all their lives. 
They knew how far the daily reality of America strayed from the myth. And yet, instead of giving up, they joined together. And they said, somehow, some way, we are going to make this work. We are going to bring those words in our founding documents to life. I have seen that same spirit rising these past few years. Folks of every age and background who packed city centers and airports and rural roads so that families wouldn't be separated, so that another classroom wouldn't get shot up, so that our kids won't grow up on an uninhabitable planet. Americans of all races joining together to declare in the face of injustice and brutality at the hands of the state, that black lives matter. No more, but no less. So that no child in this country feels the continuing sting of racism. To the young people who led us this summer, telling us we need to be better, in so many ways, you are this country's dreams fulfilled. Earlier generations had to be persuaded that everyone has equal worth. For you, it's a given, a conviction. And what I want you to know is that for all its messiness and frustrations, your system of self-government can be harnessed to help you realize those convictions for all of us. You can give our democracy new meaning. You can take it to a better place. You're the missing ingredient. The ones who will decide whether or not America becomes the country that fully lives up to its creed. That work will continue long after this election. But any chance of success depends entirely on the outcome of this election. This administration has shown it will tear our democracy down if that's what it takes for them to win. So we have to get busy building it up by pouring all our efforts into these 76 days and by voting like never before for Joe and Kamala and candidates up and down the ticket so that we leave no doubt about what this country that we love stands for today and for all our days to come. Stay safe. God bless. That was former President Barack Obama speaking on Wednesday night, night three of the 2020 Democratic National Convention. Uh, it was unlike a usual Barack Obama speech. It was unlike a usual convention speech. I think it was the definition of a clarion call. Uh, I, it, it, to me, in watching it, it just cut like a knife. 
through what was an otherwise masterfully uh, constructed night, uh, but just cut through like like a knife of of what we have been going through as a country collectively over these past four years. Uh, I thought it was stark. It felt like a president speaking, frankly, when I watched it, uh, speaking after a nuclear attack or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned that. And it's I think it's remarkable that uh, no former president has ever, ever in history felt compelled to say, hey, don't let them take away your democracy. He uh, he uh, Barack Obama has not spoken much during this presidency. Um, most presidents generally don't uh, speak during their uh, uh, their predecessor, who, whoever comes after them. Successor. Successor. Thank you. Uh, he did say, however, that he would speak up when and if needed. Well, clearly, based on his remarks um, on Wednesday night, he feels it is now needed. Uh, and I heard it. And he says what we do echoes throughout generations. And I believe he's right. I believe this is that type of a moment. I understand why he uh, felt that last night was the night to speak up and say what he said. Well, and also that he noted that this election is the inflection point. That was something that Kamala Harris also had said that, sure, this work is going to continue. This work is never going to end uh, the forces of freedom fighting against the forces that would take that freedom away. And the fact that he said that this election, however, the chances of making those changes, of harnessing your system of self-government in order to realize those ideals, that this election is the one that all of those chances turn on. Either they happen or they don't, based on what happens in November. It is uh, much more than about an election uh, of any particular candidate, in my opinion. That's why, um, you know, it didn't matter who he was talking about, who the candidates were in this case. Uh, I would have taken it out uh, no matter who it was. Um, it just happened to be uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris there. But uh, the rest of the content, I think, uh, explains why it does not matter who the uh, Democratic nominee is at this point. Get out there and vote like your life depended on it. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, made possible by those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.